0: There's times where I'm using a photograph as a direct source. I just trace the photograph on the canvas and paint. Um, There's times where I'm looking at something like a still life and drawing or painting it directly from observation. Or I'm outside in the landscape doing that. Um, Then there's other times where I'm um, doing these other paintings that are very internal and very just sort of... They are kind of direct in this really weird way, and that's the memory of water one. So yeah, uh, but but you know that's a, for me that's a very different way of thinking of my um, my discipline because I you know I think prior to, to a couple of years ago I would be thinking of I uh, would be my attitude would be to try to combine all those things you know into one th- object where I'm just letting them all kind of do their own thing now.
1: Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 127th episode, Brian Frank from Mankato, Minnesota, joins us once again to talk about his Memory of Water show, which opens up at Carnegie Art Center in Mankato, December 6th. So mark it on your calendars. Again, this discussion um, is coming up, so please stay tuned for that. We do want to invite new listeners to check out all the other podcasts on Studio Break. Again, each of them have images of the artist's work, links to their websites and these lengthy interviews. So please check them out. You can also find a link to the iTunes store there where you can subscribe to the podcast. You can follow our tumblr account that's studio dash break tumblr our twitter account is at studio break so please do us there and you can also like our facebook page where we provide previews give announcements and share opportunities things like that so please feel free to like our facebook page as well and without
0: further ado here is brian frank once again so stay tuned
1: So welcome to Studio Break, Brian Frink. I think this is, uh, I don't know, this is almost like a Thanksgiving episode, you know, have you on again, (laughs) so thanks. Yeah, I
0: guess I'm a turkey, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be on your, your show again.
1: Yeah, yeah. And again, I I know that uh, it's interesting because I think, you know, the first time that we talked, you know, you had spoken a lot about starting rock on a snowstorm. And and here I'm looking out my window and it's starting to kind of uh, look like a snowstorm. But I'm sure that kind of sounds silly when I'm talking to you and and you're in Minnesota. So,
0: yeah, we we actually had it was 50 here yesterday. So we had a kind of a warming trend, uh, but it's back down to the 20s and there's some snow flying around. So, yeah, we're back to winter.
1: And I'm, I'm going to start off just by asking, you know, you've been kind of doing these uh, memory of water paintings for, I don't know, how long would you say? Maybe like a little over a year and a half or two years? It's, it's or? been
0: about two, a uh, little over two, two, two years. I started them, I think uh, it was two years ago in September when I was on that residency in Maine.
1: We've had you on a couple of times and, you know, certainly people can go back and listen to those interviews and certainly look at the work. But, you know, as I'm looking at it this morning, I'm trying to figure out again, like, again, how, how is this process working now? So uh-huh. could you kind of maybe walk us through kind of one of these recent ones, you know, in just terms of like how you, how you kind of process it. Cause it looks like there's maybe kind of areas of these paintings that are very laborsome, all the linear work, and then maybe uh-huh. some of them that are kind of more loose or playful. How, how does it work in terms of building one of these?
0: Well, basically, um, and I started doing these with the watercolors and I would just, I just basically, it's really simple. I laid down a, um, Series of marks or washes, uh, to, you know, with different colors or value changes or whatever um, on a piece of paper or my canvas, and then let that dry and then work a series of marks on top of that surface. So, well, I should, well I, they're not exactly a series of marks. They're very, I think of them as being fairly non expressive marks. They're just, initially with the memory of water uh, paintings, they were just horizontal marks, lines that were an attempt to sort of um, get the look of water, like waves and shifting patterns and things like that, and light. It evolved through some other experiences and influences into uh, a a grid-like pattern that looks almost like fabric uh, laying on top of the more gestural ground. So that's, that's pretty straightforward.
1: Well, and I think that's that's interesting in terms of thinking about the observation because you know we've talked about um, some of the landscape paintings and you know uh-huh. still life and and you know kind of representational modes that you have, and so it's interesting to see some of those shift because I mean some of them there's a this really large painting that you did maybe like sixty inches that you know I think is a memory of water with with fog or something like that in the title, but you kind of get more of a uh, idea of it being about this uh, depth of space where you know these are really kind of flat and you know you kind of like them to kind of almost like cloth. So um, I don't know, that aspect of them is really interesting, this kind of flattening um, or kind of graphic quality,
0: you know? Yeah, they they do have a, a really straightforward graphic quality. I mean, what, one of my objectives with them is to, oh, uh, I don't know how to put it, but I think, I think the, uh, just not think about them very hard, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not dwell on them and make them fairly quickly. I don't, I don't, see them as, you know, I spent about two years doing those watercolors and drawings um, and they were all pretty small scaled, uh, very just repetitively, just one after another. You probably saw them all on Facebook. And I think out of that, I, 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 um, I concluded that I wanted to make my larger paintings in the same manner in terms of just sort of establishing this ground and then, and then starting the pattern of line work on top and not really, making any decisions about the painting except the moment by moment ones that relate to the line quality and the mark making. So it's, it's, so I do them pretty quickly. Even the big ones, they don't, I mean, I did, I have these four large paintings that are coming up in my show at the Carnegie. They're uh eight foot by five foot. And I started all four of them at, at the uh, right at the beginning of October. So uh, and I'm nearly done with the fourth one. So they, 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 I don't dwell on them. And that was, that wasn't an uh, objective of mine. So I think that lends them kind of a graphic quality and, um, And a kind of a a simplicity that gives them, I think, a very clear presence.
1: Since I recently was talking to a a couple of painters who will be on the podcast shortly, you know, one of the things that we're talking about is kind of almost not wanting to start a new work, like kind of wanting to obsess over something and, and kind of... I don't know, make it right. And, and these painters were kind of talking about repainting and kind of reworking an area, you know, kind of relentlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it seems like you're able to kind of just jump to to the next thing. Is there is there something to that, like in terms of just kind of allowing it to be like this momentary thing? Or is it just about like doing those numbers? Because, you know, a lot of artists too will – you know, work up just a ton of things, you know, I, I've, you certainly heard stories, you know, kind of going through school about, you know, um, Picasso would do like a hundred drawings and then burn, you know, uh, 98 of them and keep two of them, you yeah. know, a day or something. Um, but is that kind of frequency something that's important to you?
0: The frequency of making things? Or... Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just oh, being yeah. in that mode so that it's like, qu- like a, th- something that you can jump off of and move on to something else.
0: Yeah. I think my work prior to these paintings, prior to my residency and prior to my, My pet portraits that you alluded to um, in your introduction, I I think I tried to sort of, I I think I obsessed over that work like you described. I mean, I would (laughs) like sit and look at a single painting for like six months. And, you know, in the middle of all that, I would just kind of always be asking myself, why am I doing this? It didn't make sense. I mean, I didn't know what I was looking for. And it seemed to be sort of this holdover of some kind of um, existential angst, you know, that we somehow inherit uh, as painters. Uh, From the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And I just realized that that just was stupid (laughs) (laughs) that I didn't that that all all it did was it, it was a it was an attempt to sort of come to terms with my own inability to rationalize my activity. And so meaning painting. And so instead of trying to just sort of meaning the the labor of sort of like the cog, like thinking about it, reflecting on it, trying mm-hmm. to change it and sort of building that into the painting. And I just decided that was absurd. And um, so with my pet portraits, I just had this sort of objective of copying the photograph is, you know, just boom, do the photograph. And so I think I brought that I, that sort of attitude into these new abstract paintings where I'm just like, sort of, I set these objectives, you know, I'm going to do this and this and I just, you know, get it done and I don't dwell on it. That said, there's a zillion different decisions that I make in the process of making the painting. So it's not like I just sort of illustrate an idea at all. In fact, they're, they're highly intuitive, but the intuitive range is narrower Than it was before. It was like before I would look at this wide open thing. Now I just narrow that down and I make all kinds of decisions as I'm building up those grids or line works about how close one is to another, um, how I'm holding the brush, just really close, kind of intimate decisions about that moment that is very different than uh, my previous work.
1: And it makes me wonder, too, about the, the relationship between the other bodies of work that you have. You know, some are very direct and based on direct observation that might take maybe like an hour or two hours to kind of really work through a painting. It looks, you know, really wet into wet versus something, you know, like you're describing where it might be kind of very tedious. It might be again, kind of more almost like a, um, I don't know, laborsome or, you know, you're kind of spending hours kind of making these, these patterned lines. And, you know, I'm just interested in those different ways of working because there might be some times that it's really important that it's direct. And then maybe other times where, you know, it's kind of almost like a, a chess move where you're kind of making small decisions and then, you know, sitting with it for a long time and then, you know, making another small decision. But how could you describe that relationship and all of these different modes and how they influence each other?
0: Uh, How can I best put it? It's sort of a manifestation of this notion that, um, you know, I can shift my genre shift my approach based on what I'm looking at, how I'm thinking about the thing, what technology I'm viewing it through, or if I'm just, you know, painting or drawing something directly. Because within my studio, I've been um, sort of uh, allowing myself to work within all those sort of frames there's times where I'm using a photograph as a direct source. I just trace the photograph on the canvas and paint. Um, There's times where I'm looking at something like a still life and drawing or painting it directly from observation, or I'm outside in the landscape doing that. Um, Then there's other times where I'm um, doing these other paintings that are very internal and very just sort of they are kind of direct in this really weird way and that's the memory of water one. So, yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, that's a, for me, that's a very different way of thinking of my, um, my discipline because I, you know, I think prior to, to a couple of years ago, I would be thinking of, I'd be my attitude would be to try to combine all those things, you know, into one object where I'm just letting them all kind of do their own thing now. It's
1: really interesting to, to see these in, in, well, in person, I Thank know, you. again, I've, I've visited the, uh, the uh, poor farm. And again, you had at the time, this very massive uh, painting up on the wall. What do you think about that format and the scale in terms of the way that, that people see these and experience them? Is there something that that changes um, in that translation, I guess, from a study to a, a painting?
0: I kind of make the same size line on those as I do the smaller ones. And so because of that, the line becomes, because of its relationship to the scale, the, the line becomes More active and kind of buzzier, right? Mm -hmm. And so that to me is this really interesting kind of uh, shift, you know, in terms of the scale. And it looks more active. They just look kind of busier. And then the busyness sort of, it's like a Richard Pousset dart painting. Um, And actually, I hadn't thought it. I saw a retrospective of his a few years ago at the Whitney that was really important. And I think there's something to do with those paintings with these new ones I'm working on where, you know, there's so much going on that's sort of repetitive and the same, it turns into one big thing. Um, And I think that's sort of um, what I'm after with the larger scale. And again, that, I think that hooks up with my source subject, which is just this experience of water because you stand and look at a lake or an ocean or whatever, and there's that scale thing, you know, you just kind of, it, it, you can't break it down into parts easily.
1: A lot of them still kind of incorporate then, you know, like a horizon almost in some ways or. Yeah. Again, I was out in Delaware last, you know, at the beginning of the year. And so, I don't know, when you're kind of, uh, I don't know, looking at a at a big body of water, I can kind of understand completely that, I don't know, that kind of feeling or that kind of experience. Um, and again, that sounds, <laughs> it sounds so Bob Ross to say it like yeah, that. It does. But I think, you know, I think, again, I think that's an important thing because um, I think that that reaction that you get from being in those, those types of situations are the ones that. Hopefully, you want to kind of impart uh, maybe to somebody that's going to look at it to kind of react in that same way where there's kind of like the sense of awe or... You know, I don't know, mystery of something, or maybe feeling smaller. I don't know.
0: Yeah, to me, it's it's a it's it's an aesthetic experience, you know, and that's what I'm trying to ex- communicate in the paintings. You know, I'm not trying to communicate an aesthetic necessarily, but an aesthetic experience. I mean, to communicate an aesthetic, I think other people have to do that in a way. You know, in in other words, declare what you do as art. Mm-hmm. But but I am trying to express uh, that feeling of awe or that feeling of um, I don't know mass and. I don't know what, to, how to even. I can't really um, explain it other than with those sort of words. So, and they're also kind of quirky. And what what surprised me about them, even though with the memory of water, and one of the reasons I've been focusing, I've been focusing on them for about a year now because um, I got a state arts board grant from the state of Minnesota that, that for for a body of work based on the memory of water series. And so that's why I've been focusing on them and not the black Madonnas or the pet portraits or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was a great means of support because it got me to sort of like really like kind of like do them instead of getting distracted by other stuff. So I, I appreciated that. Uh, you know, I think, I think this notion of an aesthetic experience and trying to communicate that is something that's really important for them. Oh, and, and they, and each one of them, even though they kind of start with fair, very, very limited, a very limited kind of set of, of, ideas so this I just start with this gestural base of paint and and then these lines and marks but they each one have this really weird as I work on them they develop a really weird quirky personality they're not at all the same you know I'll start to innovate within them or make decisions along as I go along to maybe break up the pattern a little bit or it's an accident I suddenly you know a lot of times it's like um, I'm going along and I'm just like my lines are getting like all slanty you know like one way or the other and so i have to correct them and that turns into this other thing so there's this weird sort of um resonating impact of of mistakes that in the end i have to adjust to and um and accommodate within the composition does that make sense
1: i think it does completely and
0: so that's interesting to me about them as well
1: well, I think that idea of intuitiveness or, or kind of like, you know, working on the fly, I don't know that it's necessarily just because uh, I think artists, especially when you're young, are kind of like, yeah, that's just the way I work. Yeah. But it's also kind of a way of avoiding a, a trap, you know, of kind of the same resolution each time. or you Yeah, know.
0: yeah. Kind absolutely. of painting
1: yourself into a corner, if you if you will, uh, pardon the pun.
0: No, I think that's absolutely true, and I think uh, my work, uh, like I don't know when I started doing those pet paintings. There, you know, I had the, as we talked about in previous podcasts. So if people want to listen to them, they can. But I was kind of in a crisis point with my work, um, maybe six or seven years ago, and it was I was doing exactly that. I was just painting myself into this weird corner that I couldn't get out of, and it took. An incredible seismic radical change, which was to do paintings that I never thought I would do. You know, these pet portraits, they were just like this. It was like a shock to my um, aesthetic system in Mm -hmm. a way. And it it changed my work.
1: I read recently something again about uh, I don't know some review about Rothko again talking about this kind of religious experience and yeah. you know it's occurring to me too that there's kind of like a I don't know a similarity in terms of format and scale mm-hmm. and the type of uh, reaction that maybe I would have with them and, and at the same time I know that um, I don't know if that's something that's outwardly something that you're interested in is uh, some sort of religious experience and I think it's interesting to bring up in in light of the the Black Madonna series and. I don't know the way that especially that kind of like pattern kind of started showing up in those pieces as well. I mean is yeah. all of that somehow I don't know related at all? Do you want to do you want a, a frink uh chapel if you will?
0: <laughs> I think the idea of an aesthetic experience and a spiritual experience are very very closely related. Mm-hmm. I mean obviously in 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 terms of art not just in western painting but painting all over the world, spiritual practices and religion have you know, informed the art of whatever culture you're looking at for centuries. I mean, that one could say that's how it all kind of started in a way. And and but I think we've been kind of, especially 20th century modernists have been kind of moving away from religion or spiritualism as a as a um, meaningful subject or source and or whatever you want to call it, or they just have been ignoring it. Um, so part of my idea with the Black Madonnas was to kind of um, maybe reinvent that or recast it for myself. And I'm not. A religious person. I don't believe in any of that. But I do believe in the stories that we tell each other, um, as people as like right now, we're telling each other a story about my artwork and you're telling me a story about your artwork. And this sort of somehow forms, uh, an opinion, a belief, a view or whatever you want to call it about the, the kind of work we do and its meaning. And so, I mean, religion is just stories that we tell each other. And so I find them fascinating. And so my whole black Madonna series is, is very much related to that idea of like, like, investigating these stories and I think that but they're also kind of emerging, like with like you mentioned with the Black Madonna paintings that are more abstract they I started painting these veil things as a metaphor um, for uh, hiding or for um, you know having this presence behind something and that sort of to me was about is kind of this uh, spiritual statement and I think formally speaking that idea of the veil and the fabric kind of um, started inserting itself into my memory of water. So they're sort of like, but then water is a very spiritual subject. It's a, it's part of every religion, the reverence or the use of it as an image uh, or symbolic, you know, image within whatever people are doing. So they all kind of connect.
1: To kind of get back to something about experience, you know, again, you're, you're kind of a world traveler. You kind of been setting up this, um, you know, this kind of summer residency in in France. And again, since I have access on Facebook, you know, one can kind of see also other influences, maybe maybe some of these trips. And, you know, I came across a photo of what looked like kind of this, um, you know, uh graffiti or tagging um behind this uh this tree i, th- I want to say from a trip to maybe mexico to oh yeah i don't know it just kind of struck me in, in terms of relating this kind of more lyrical i don't know kind of undulating line that also kind of shows up in these works that i don't know they seem you know like one seems like this very methodical gridded thing and then other this other aspect of it seems like this i don't know almost like lyrical kind of playful aspect of kind of putting out these lines and kind of incorporating these you know other shapes so is, is there any relationship to that i mean are you are you oh, interested yeah. in stuff like graffiti is that
0: Oh yeah absolutely i mean i'm sort of Although my students, if they're listening to this, my previous students were kind of laugh because I'm always kind of critical of graffiti art as well. But being in, living in Brooklyn, I mean, we were surrounded by it. And those are the early days of graffiti and hip hop and all that kind of stuff. And so um, we saw a lot of, um, I mean, yeah, that was a big influence on me just visually, you know, riding trains and seeing all the graffiti. And then, um, so yeah, as a, as a kind of a visual thing, I'm really interested in it. Um you know, I'm not, I don't consider my, I don't like do graffiti art or anything like that, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, I'm just especially interested in kind of picking apart that linear aspect to yeah. it, you know, like I'm, and it's ironic cause I'm, you know, just backed out of a photograph that I'm looking at. And then I see another one that's kind of like this close up of like a, a circular kind of like linked fence and then I'm Mm -hmm. relating this again to marks that are in some of these other paintings. So again, I'm I'm just curious about how that those resources kind of get built up. And I know certainly like, you know, previous bodies of works that you've explored have kind of been, you know, very formal in nature and kind of explored all those things. So it's, I don't know, it's interesting because I'm always asking these things about my work too. You know, what, Mm -hmm. what is a direct thing? What is an indirect, you know, thing that I'm bringing from my experience outside of the studio, you know, into the studio?
0: Well, one of the things that, you know, um, the paintings I think you're talking about are the, did them down in tulum uh i was down in tulum mexico for a few days just recently and um Just hanging out on the beach and stuff, Uh, again, the idea of water and just figuring out another sort of formal device to sort of represent water in that linear pattern you're talking about is just kind of a – just to be very sort of blunt and direct about it, it's just referring to the idea of a wave coming in and crashing uh, on the shoreline. But on the other hand, it also functions as just a – I love making those kind of marks as a sort of lyrical linear mark that's – that's both pleasurable to make and exciting formally and things like that. So, um, and it's oddly enough, it's a mark. It's almost like I'm going, I mean, you know, you're, you're very astute to mention this because it's, it's like, uh, it does remind me a lot of my work from Brooklyn, you know, years ago, uh, in terms of that, that kind of linear, uh, undulating kind of quality. So it's interesting. And, and plus I'm, uh, I'm kind of a, uh, image omnivore, you know. I just love, I love taking photos, as you can tell from my Facebook posts. Mm-hmm. I'm constantly photographing my world, and and that's actually something that, you know, I started as a photographer years and years ago in high school. That's what I was really interested in, and and did all the darkroom stuff. And I worked as a photographer at a newspaper and things like that. And then I think over the years I fell away from it because of the darkroom situation, you know, just needing a darkroom. And I, I when I got into painting and just focused on that, I quit taking photos except for family stuff. And and I think with digital photography, it's really opened me up again to that, that, that uh, uh, the usefulness of that as a way to, to document my world and, but not just document it, but examine it.
1: Well, and it's interesting to think about the way that, you know, again, by working in these different methods, it kind of gets you to reevaluate and, and, you know, reexamine all the things that you're interested in all, all the time.
0: Yeah. And that's the fun part about, of getting older, doing this whole thing. You know, it's like, as long as you can avoid the, the, the trap of burnout and the trap of, um, being resistant to change, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. change is inevitable and it's painful. Um, as long as you can avoid, you know, embrace those kind of things, it's a very rewarding and rich uh, kind of thing to do because of that.
1: Makes you want to come out with like a meth- methodology anthology breakdown of people's <laughs> works. I don't know. Yeah. You know, just like a coffee table book of like this series re- required this, this, and I don't know. It's it's interesting to me because I think about it like that. I mean, it's, um, I don't know, like I said to you before, I mean, you know, you become aware of the differences um by doing these different these different processes and I, I think they tell something.
0: Yeah, I think you should do that book. That'd be really fascinating.
1: Well so in kind of jumping off topic, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is just this relationship also being, you know, the chair of the department and, you know, being a teacher, an instructor, working with young artists, trying to get them to, you know, go out there into the world and, and make things that are meaningful, but also to kind of give them strategies on how to keep doing it. And so I don't know. Is is there like a secret? I mean, how do you? <laughs> I know I know that I can kind of keep asking that, and I could probably ask you again. I'm sure I will. Um, but what's the, what's the secret now? And I, I guess in terms of kind of, I don't know, staying staying excited about your work and staying relevant.
0: I think. Um... Well, staying, staying relevant is kind of a different question. Staying excited. I mean, to me, relevancy is something that um, one shouldn't worry about. And, in fact, if you worry about relevancy too much, I think it's a sure way to end up not doing your work. Um, but staying excited about your work, I think, is a very um, – uh, that's probably the discipline of making work. And staying excited doesn't necessarily mean just that you're always enthusiastic about <laughs> right. You know, it's like just staying, I think, committed to it. Um, Uh, keeping, you know, I mean, it's, it's a cliche, but every day I'm in my studio doing something, even when I'm dead tired. I mean, I'll come in here and stand around if anything. Um, And I try to work on something every day. So it's that continuous flow. And the other thing I, I like to tell students, you know, bits of advice. I think, I think, you know, when they're in school, they, um, are paying for people to give attention to them and to make comments and both good and bad comments. They're paying, they're creating, it's, in many ways, it's an artificial situation uh, because of that. When they get out into the world and they start making their work, uh, nobody will even care about what they do. They won't say a good thing. They won't say a bad thing. And so they have to work through that sort of, um, lack of interest. And that's the tough thing, I think. And and you end up building internal reasons to do your work. Uh, you, you know, a minute ago, I was telling the story, you know, talking about t- the stories we tell each other. Well, I think we tell ourselves stories about why we do what we do, and and why is it important, and and we have to keep telling that, you know, like, kind of repeating that narrative to ourselves, and and refine it and build it and add to it. But it's still something that I think builds confidence and the ability to kind of keep going. Um, so that's that's part of it, and and outside things help with that. So you get a grant, or you get a show, or you have this or that. And that kind of builds that inner narrative, makes it even stronger that story you tell yourself. And then after a while, people start telling your story for you. You know, you get on wonderful podcasts to talk about your work and and things like that. So, you know these things build but then you also have to get ready for for big downtimes prior to this uh my pet paintings I was in a period where I wasn't selling anything or showing much or you know it's just getting really kind of a drag so
1: so these these paintings um where are they going to be and um can you talk just a little bit about this show that's coming up um <laughs> At yeah, the Carnegie.
0: it's at the Carnegie Art Center here in Mankato, Minnesota. Um, it opens. The show will be up on the 4th, so uh, December 4th. And then the, the grand opening, the reception to the public, is December 6th from 7 to 9. And I love showing at the Carnegie. It's my um, third time in all the years I've lived here. And um, it's it's a very very big space, and I get the whole space, and so I have a ton of work in there. And it's an old Carnegie library, so it has a lot of architectural charm, and it's just fun to. I love showing my work here in Mankato. It's not the it's not New York or wherever. It's not even Minneapolis, but it's where I live, and where all the people I love are, and uh, family and friends and colleagues and people that hate me and whatever <laughs> and and i hope they all show up and usually it's a big big party and i think this will be a big party <laughs> and so it's fun
1: well and it's interesting you say that too though because i mean having been there again it's a massive space so i, I know that you'll have a, a lot of work and you know a lot of room to kind of uh to fill out but again that's one of the things that's interesting because you know you say again you don't necessarily have to be in one of these places to have uh you know, a massive, uh, a show, a mass, I don't know, you know what I mean? Something that's going to be important, significant, you know, especially right. in a space like that. It's, uh, it's interesting to be in that position. So,
0: Right, I think. I think, and you know, that's something I've had to come to terms at. It takes a long time. I mean, I'll probably maybe I'll never. Sh- I'll probably never show at the Museum of Modern Art. Heck, I mean, I've never shown in New York. I may never show in New York. Um, it would be a wonderful thing to have happen, but I'm happy with that. I don't care. I'm making the work I make, and um, people are responding to it, and that's that's what matters to me. The whole you know relevancy thing again, because that, that's kind of what we're talking about—is the work relevant? I just don't know. You know, I just don't know. I to me, it is um to my kids it is uh, you know and and i guess that's just right now i guess um that's how it is and so i'm i'm happy with that
1: when you're when you're making work for a long time um you know and people keep telling you gosh you must sell like 50 of these and you're like no <laughs> no you, <and laughs> yeah. i don't yeah. um but no. that kind of reward of kind of like people wanting to to trade for it or kind of i don't know when people start really kind of appreciating it or you know telling you uh you know they really wish they could afford something at this point um I don't know. I think that there's other signs to let you know, you know, that yeah. you're doing, that you're doing well, even yeah, if you're absolutely. not selling at Christie's, uh, Uh, as a as an investment Uh, well and you know
0: the art world's a big world now i mean it's like a big crazy world it's not like just a few artists you know we've talked about this before um it's just not a few artists in new york making their thing it's like it's all over the place and so the art world has to get bigger and more diverse and and more complex as a result so you know it's a good thing it's a good thing so you know
1: and I did want to ask you before we let you go, you know, what is the current state of Raqqa? Again, there's a group show coming up. And for anyone that doesn't know, Raqqa stands for Rural America Contemporary Art. And that's an organization that you started back a couple of years ago. So what's going on with Raqqa these days?
0: Well, not a whole lot. We have this group show coming up at St. Peter. It's going to be our third one, um, and that opens the day before my opening at the Carnegie on the fifth. And so I've got I've got a whole lot of things going on. Um, and right now, Rock uh, we haven't um, I haven't done a blog lately. We haven't done. It's kind of been, I think in sort of a hi- state of hibernation. We still have the magazine, the website up, and everything, but we just haven't been. Um, you know, the mainly the dude that's in charge of it, me is so busy with his um, day job that. You know, it's one of the, those priority things that has uh, kind of dropped. We do have, or, or you know, it's, it's it's a lesser priority than my own work and then uh, my job at school. So um, we do have a exhibition, another one coming up at the University of um, Minnesota Morris next summer. And then we have, we have the possibility of kind of a, a larger traveling rocket show. I've been talking with a couple other institutions about having um, a group of artists just kind of tour a bit, which would be kind of cool, I think so so and the idea is to create kind of a, a, a touring exhibition that goes from north to south so i've been talking with people down in arkansas and missouri and here in minnesota to kind of have a show that would move and then bring in art, like kind of a core show and then bring in artists from what that region to be part of the the core show so um that's kind of something that's that i've been Yapping about with some people, but so far, nothing for sure is is coming out of that. But um, the rock idea still is, um, I'm still, you know, going to keep working with it and keep pushing it, but I'm just not pushing it right, real hard right now. So I think it still has a lot of, like we were just talking about, I mean, this idea that um, there's a a bigger art world. I mean, that's what rock is about, like trying to sort of say, yeah, there's a bigger art world that is just as relevant, maybe more relevant, just as legitimate, maybe more legitimate than, um, you know, the New York art world. So,
1: who are you highlighting in in the show? Are there some people that you maybe would kind of mention?
0: The last show had people from other states in it. We did, I think we only had one person from Minnesota, or maybe two, but um the last show seemed to be sort of more um I pulled people from all like other places. You were in the show and a few other artists from um Illinois and then some artists from New York and this show is much more um local based, so it's artists that are um uh, a colleague of mine at MSU, a couple um, people that teach at Gustavus, um, and then some other artists from the area that um, are really incredible artists and um, do great work, and they deserve to be shown. So it has a more local feel, I guess.
1: I, I guess I was alluding to this idea. I mean, again, even if it's not active in terms of having a blog, it's very active as a as a oh, yeah. group and you yeah. know, the, the kind of discussions and the artwork that gets posted on there. So again, it's interesting to see How that all feeds in, because I know that the last time that we had spoken, again, you talked about having these different, you know, goals of artists that you're showing. So, again, it's exciting to have, uh, you know, a feature of kind of more local artists.
0: Yeah, it's still viable as an idea, and, and, you know, I'm still busy with it and stuff. It's just the, and, you know, it's just the magazine to me is something that um, I'd love to figure out how to to get kind of going more. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to get people to write stuff.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Especially for free. We don't have any money. so Right, um, right. You know, that's how it is. But over time, I think it'll grow, and um, it still is an idea, I think, that resonates with a ton of people, and you can see that on the Facebook group. So, um, yeah, you're right about that.
1: Well, and, again, I would mark that as an invitation. Again, if anybody uh, wants to join up with that group, again, it's open. And, oh, yeah. You know, you're always seeing new artworks posted kind of from anywhere and, and people commenting and, you know, contributing, which, again, is is a interesting dynamic to have because it's really easy to be, you know, somewhere where you can't have these conversations, which I, right. I think is kind of the point.
0: It is absolutely, David, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So, and also if uh, people want to friend you, I mean, is that something, how, do, how does that process work? Do you, just do you take an application? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got to no, answer these three questions. I, it, totally. I'll be friends with anybody.
1: Well, but that's, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. Cause I think, you know, especially for someone that's interested in, in like on a larger scope, of, you know, things going on in the world. You know, and it's certainly all the things that, you know, we could talk about with Facebook and, mm-hmm. you know, sharing content and all that. But, again, it's really interesting to see it as a way of, I don't know, keeping tabs on what's going on in different places, too, because you're always, you know, seeing um, new work. It's kind of like – I think about it almost like a mixtape, you know, like um, – and you you like their taste. So you kind of – so when you're on Facebook, it's interesting because you always wind up, you know, learning about these new artists kind of through your friends. um
0: Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and
1: again, it's nice to be able to kind of see, you know, to be able to kind of talk about uh, and have these conversations and then go back and, and I don't know, it's, it's so interesting to think about the way that life especially impacts art. Um, and again, it's it's a weird thing, you know, you couldn't maybe be a different thing back in, the, I guess, the 80s, or if it's confined to one place, whereas now you can kind of do it, um, you know, if you're in Wheaton, and you're in Minnesota, or someone else is in, you know, <laughs> rural Montana, or wherever.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's such a, it's fantastic. You know, to me, the social media is even, and, and a lot of people probably find this ridiculous, but it's very much part of my, um, my studio work. I mean, the ability to post things, to hear, to see comments. And, you know, I also think that, that I'm savvy enough, and you are as well, to realize that we're not, actually looking at work when we see it on, on social media, you know, we just kind of see the shadows of work and you always have to see the real thing. But what we do get, I think that's really, really important is the idea of the work, you know, either, Mm -hmm. either through somebody's interpretation of it as they write about it or think about it, or, or the conversation that develops around it is, is really significant, I think, and quite unique. I think one of the problems I have with social media and stuff, um, and and just the internet in general is with students, well, obviously, and maybe we've talked about this in the past, there's no filter, you know, there's Mm -hmm. no Critic filtering the work. There's no teacher filtering it. I can tell my students, uh, send me links to work that you like, you know, I think stuff, and it's just like the most atrocious stuff. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, I have to say, well, this is atrocious stuff and this is why and, um, that kind of thing, but they still, you know, see it on the internet. And so there, it's, it's both wonderful and kind of a curse as well. So, um, but I, but I personally think there's more wonderfulness to it than um, than anything because of the ideas that are transmitted and, and debated and, and um, chewed over. Yeah.
1: And again, I mean, I, it's kind of similar in, in terms of just having these interviews to, to kind of talk to different people, exploring different things. I mean, you know, half the time you're you're answering those same questions for yourself, you know, yeah, like somebody yeah. gives you their take and you go, well, jeez, that's not my take at all. So,
0: yeah, yeah, right. I was going to just make some comment about posting work on on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that because I I do it constantly. You know, I make a piece and then bam, put it up. And one of the things I do, it's like a game I play with myself. Um, and this kind of fits in with the way that I think about my work. To me, it's a way of finishing the work, and it allows me to sort of have this um, moment where I declare it done and I move on. And I think that's really helped my my ability to get, to make work and not dwell over it. You know, I mean, we were talking earlier about um, uh, kind of the, the, the picking away at things forever and ever. But I think it's been a real benefit to me to be able to just sort of move forward really quickly with the things.
1: Yeah. And, and again, it kind of allows you to kind of focus on what you're, <laughs> again, maybe a little silly, but what you're most excited about, right?
0: Right, right, you know? right. No, it's totally that. So,
1: Well, and I, cause I think, you know, again, experience is such a weird word cause I think, mm-hmm. I don't know, it wants to be kind of looked at as being a bad thing, but I mean, I guess, you know, as you're talking about these things, that's, kind of what I'm thinking about it, you know, like the, the, you know, I'm looking up this uh, group of paintings up on my wall and I'm going, well, that was the summer, you know, these were experiences that were really fresh, you know, six months ago. Right. Um, and I'm now interested in the, the, you know, working with uh, the things, the experiences that I just had, you know, six weeks ago or you right. know, something a bit closer. So I don't know that idea of wanting to move on and, and um, I don't know, see what happens. Um, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting process.
0: Well, it's endemic to our age, you know? I mean, it's, it's just how um, we're—it's the kind of world we live in. It's fragmented. It's fast. Um, it changes quickly. It's superficial. But in many ways, I think all those kind of things are cool. I don't, I don't worry about, you know, I don't want to be in some sort of uh, renaissance candlelit Space where nothing's going on, you know what I mean sure sure <laughs> I don't know what that how what that if that's relates to what we're talking about, but I think sometimes artists sort of sit and um pine for that sort of isolation and mental space, and I just don't think that's uh well relevant or uh possible anymore.
1: Well, Brian, we've come to an end, and again, I want to thank you for coming on and talking to us. People can add you on Facebook, Brian Frank, and then also they can follow your Twitter account at Poor Farm Studios. so I hope people do that.
0: And then I do have a new website that's coming out. It's been coming out for two years, but it's going to be brianfrink.com. So, so I'm hoping to get it going in the next couple weeks, but you know, we'll see.
1: And I guess I'm pounding the Twitter drum today, but I think again artists should join up on twitter um, share stuff there as well. I think it's a, a great resource, and it's really cool you know just when you randomly hear from people you know that you didn't even realize were listening, so again, I hope people follow you there and send you cool things and
0: yeah, it's cool, it really is and 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 if... Yeah, well, and your studio break is just such a fantastic resource. So you're just um, doing something great here, David. So thank thank you for inviting me again on it. I really appreciate that.
1: Again, I look forward to sharing it. And, of course, uh, I hope uh, people take you up on that offer, join RACA, say hello. Yeah, and be a and, friend. Uh, yeah, <laughs> contribute, contribute to the conversation. There's a lot yeah. a lot of people following it there, so it's very cool stuff. So uh, thanks once again. And, uh, again, good luck with this uh, exhibition that's opening up uh, next week. So Thank you, sir. Thanks once again to Brian for joining us. Please go ahead and look for his new website, brianfrink.com. Again, you can add him on Facebook. You can follow him on Twitter at Poor Farm Studios. So please go ahead and do that. And don't forget, sign up for Raka. Join the discussion there again. Tons of different artists from all over the place are contributing. So you can do the same thing. I would like to invite listeners to check out my website, davidlinaway.com, for getting a better idea of where I'm coming from as someone that hosts this program. Again, I make a number of paintings that deal with architecture and landscapes, so you can check it out there at davidlinaway.com. To any new listeners, or at least hopefully committed new listeners, you can check out all the great interviews on Studio Break. Again, you can peruse the archives, go month by month, check out all the podcasts. You can follow the hyperlink to the iTunes store, subscribe to the podcast, and scroll down look at all the podcasts that you have there. Again, each of the posts have images of the artist's work, links to their website, so you can check them all out at your convenience. So we hope that you do, and if you do like them, please share them. Again, you can use those handy media buttons and of course we are on facebook so please like our page there you can follow us on tumblr that's studio-break.tumblr and of course follow us on twitter our handle is at studio break and we love hearing from folks we do want to remind you that the raka group show opens at the art center of st peter in st peter minnesota friday december 5th so you want to check that out Brian Frank's Memory of Water show opens Saturday, December 6th at the Carnegie Art Center in Mankato. So if you can make it out to those shows, I know that you'll run into Brian there. Lastly, we want to thank Skylar Mail for providing the music studio break. You can check out his website at SkylarMail.com. He also has a show, a group show up at Hooper Projects in L.A. right now, so you can still check that out. We've now reached the end of this episode, so we thank you so much for listening and sharing and saying hello and we'll talk to you real soon.